albums were bestsellers, their songs filled with images of despair and violence. One lyric, the sun is gone, but I have a light, the day is done, but I'm having fun. And then this morning, his body found at home, another casualty of success. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. All of you chumps are gonna bow when I whip him. All of you, I know you got him. I know you got him, Dick. But the man's in cover. I'm gonna show you how great I am. And I want to say this to the television audience. I made my mistakes. But in all of my years of public life, I have never profited from public service. I've earned every cent. And in all of my years of public life, I have never obstructed justice. And I think, too, that I could say, that in my years of public life, that I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. Hello and welcome back to the Dead Icons podcast. I'm Sean and on today's episode, as there is a slight delay in part two of Freddie Mercury, I am going to be talking to Dr. Stefano Savinelli about HIV and AIDS. Sadly, when you talk about Freddie Mercury, you can't do so without touching on the tragic circumstances of his death. And unlike some of the people who we have and will cover on the show, there's no assassin to blame. There's no mystery to uncover. It's just a tragic death from a disease that still today has so much unnecessary stigma surrounding it. So for that reason, I felt it was important to get somebody in who had an expert knowledge on the topic and who could speak with an authority on the matter. So I reached out to Dr. Savinelli and he was more than happy to oblige. Uh, Before we get into the interview, I just want to say, you can find us, of course, as always, on Instagram at the underscore dead underscore icons underscore podcast. We also have a WordPress page and you can find me on Twitter at sean.carry32. So with all that out of the way, I would like to welcome Dr. Stefano Savinelli to the Dead Icons podcast. Stefano, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. How are you? I'm very good now. It's a pleasure to have you, sir. Thank you. Uh, for, th- for those who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, your work in this area? Sure. So as Sean said, I'm Stefano Savinelli. I'm an infectious disease consultant currently working at St. Vincent's University Hospital. I did my training in infectious diseases, mostly in Italy, and then I moved to Ireland um, in 2018 to complete the last six months of my training. I've had experience dealing with HIV since 2011. I did my undergraduate research thesis on um, the immunological aspects of HIV, um, and then I moved on to... Um, doing a PhD, which I'm currently finishing up, on metabolic complications of HIV. So I do have a bit of experience in the field, and it's definitely my area of biggest interest. Um, So can you just start off by explaining, because this is something I've always wondered, what is the exact difference between HIV and AIDS? Okay, thanks. That's an interesting question. So having HIV means that you are infected by the virus, the human immunodeficiency virus. Now, people with HIV can present in different ways. You can have a completely asymptomatic infection that 
will go unnoticed for years. And then what happens with HIV is that your immune system will gradually be affected by the virus. And eventually after um, a certain amount of time, usually we talk about approximately seven to 10 years, you will end up, if you don't get treatment for that, you will end up having issues with your immune system. And that's when AIDS comes along. So AIDS is the phase of HIV when your immune system is not able to protect you anymore against, against infections. And that's why the majority of the patients with AIDS will present with um, infections that normally people with a normal immune system not get because they're protected naturally against them. Um, and there's also a risk of certain types of cancer that might be present in people with AIDS and not with HIV. So let's say that AIDS is just the end of the natural history of HIV and the, the last part of it if you don't get adequate treatment for it. Okay. And what exactly is the effect that AIDS like or HIV has on the immune system? Like what causes the immune system to no longer be able to fight off diseases? Okay. So usually what happens in your immune system is that HIV targets a specific type of cells in your immune system, which are called the CD4 cells. And the HIV virus kills the cells. And that's why the numbers in your system will gradually go down over the years. Now, those cells are essential to start the immune response against pathogens. So a pathogen is a virus or a bacteria or a fungus that you could get from outside or that you could have in your body. And your body usually has these cells, the CD4 cells, that are able to start an immune response against viruses or bacteria. If you lose these immune cells, your body will not be able to start a uh, response against these infections. And for that reason, the infections will cause you symptoms and, um, and you, your immune system will not be able to fight against them. You normally get infections from everywhere, let's say from the water or from the, from the air, and usually your immune system is able to brush them off uh, completely without any issues. But in people with HIV that progress to AIDS, they're not able to respond to those infections anymore. Your natural defense system is down. It's like when, you're, when you have a laptop and your firewall is down. So any possible attack from the web, from viruses on the web, will get to your computer because you don't have a protection system in place anymore. Okay, right. I get you. So it's kind of, it's eliminating, like you said, that firewall between you yeah. and the virus outside you or outside or inside your body. Um, so I was, I saw stuff about that. Obviously there's no known cure for it, but what, something to do with the medication that can prevent it uh, progressing from HIV to AIDS. How exactly does that work? Yeah, exactly. So what happens with the medications is that medications block the replication of the virus. So the virus is a parasite. So in order to survive in your body, it needs to use all your cellular resources. So all the things that are in your, in your body and that you, the nutrients that you use to function as a person, 
the virus will use them to survive and to replicate, okay? And to produce other viruses that can infect other cells in your body. And so what can block, can stop the viral replication. So the virus cannot reproduce themselves. It's like, let's say, um, like um, a, a, a cat that is nurtured and they can't have kids and it, it shouldn't okay, yeah, kittens yeah. anymore. So basically, and with time, that cell that is infected by that virus will die and the virus will die with it. And so by not being able to replicate, you will stop the progression of the disease. And in that case, that means that your the cells that we were talking about, the CD4 cells that are killed by the virus will not be killed by the virus anymore. So your immune system will not be affected anymore by the presence of the virus. Okay, but it, it doesn't ever uh, fully go away. Like it is still, for all intents and purposes, dormant within your system, is it? Exactly. So that's unfortunately what happens with HIV. It's a bit of a, a bastard because it has the ability to hide within the body. So what happens is uh, actually it hides within your DNA. So your genetic material, and it just sticks into your DNA and acts like it's it's just there playing it cool, not showing any sign of it. And that's where the medications can't get it because the medications are only active when the virus is replicated. But if okay. the virus is sleeping in your in your DNA in your in your genetic material and it's not doing anything, it's just staying there, playing it cool, not not causing any troubles. So the medications can't recognize that there's a virus there. And there's some specific parts of your body, like for example, the intestinal system, the kidneys, and other organs in your body where HIV hides for a long time and it just replicates at very low levels, so that the replicating virus is killed by the medications, but medications can't do anything to the sleeping, let's say, okay, sleeping right. virus. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and something I've always kind of wondered about is, like, obviously, growing up in school, you you heard the myths, I suppose, of where the virus originated from or how it started. I know they don't know for defin for certain. What is the most likely um, answer to that? Yeah, so that's a very interesting question. As you, as, you, as you were saying, there's so many theories behind this, even conspiration theories that the, the virus was created in the lab and things like that. Now, from a scientific point of view, because I'm, I'm a doctor, so I, I, I deal with science, um, we have evidence of the virus having emerged from primates. And primates are monkeys, uh, chimpanzee, and all the other um, of the family of um, of the primates, and the way it originated. Now, the usually the the the, the birthday of HIV is uh, some people put it down to the fifth of June of nineteen eighty one, and that's where when the first five cases of uh, AIDS actually were described in young homosexuals in um, in the United States in the area of San Francisco. But the uh, HIV is actually way older than that, in the sense that there are reports of um, proven infection from samples that were collected by from people that died in the 70s and even in the 50s in Africa 
um, that died because of that virus. So the most plausible origin is that the virus originated in the primates, so in the monkeys, and then was transmitted to humans through contact, possibly either with uh, hunting practices or in some regions of Africa, uh, monkeys can be used sometimes as pets as well. And that's how it was transmitted from the monkeys to the humans. And uh, it mutated a bit so that it adapted to the humans and it became a bit different. And the most plausible origin uh, puts it down to around the, so the, it probably originated around the 50s in um, Central Africa and especially in the region of the, where the Congo River is. Um, okay. And then it migrated. So there is the first confirmed case in Western uh, Europe is actually the case from a, a Norwegian sailor who died of immunocompromise in 1976. So way earlier than um, the 1981, which is the official birthday of HIV. And it is estimated that he got infected most likely when he was traveling to Africa for commercial reasons around 1961, 1962. So okay. as you can see, it's, it dates back way before the official so birthday. So why, why did it take so long for it to, I suppose, go mainstream? Is it, That's not a great way of putting it, but why did it take so long for it to come to the attention of the world? Like you're saying, obviously, the first five um, cases that people talk about are 1981. But if it's alive for 20 years before that, how has nobody picked it, picked up on it? Okay, yeah, that's an interesting question. And it has to do basically with what the epidemiology of infection is. So if you, to give you an example, more modern example, let's think about COVID. Now, the first cases were described um, in China in January uh, of 2020. And then it became a pand considered as a pandemic in March 2020. Um, uh, but most likely there was already a circulation of the virus uh, in November, December of that year. Now, COVID is something that is quite easy to detect. Like you get the virus, you have respiratory symptoms, you start feeling sick and you start feeling cough, you're having cough, fevers and, and all things like that. So it's not too um, too bad because like the incubation period is just a few days and then you, it, it, it's quite evident that you have an infection. If you're dealing with HIV, it's completely silent in most of the cases uh, for 10 years or more. And, and then it starts giving you some problems with your immune system. And that's where it when it becomes evident. So that's why, first of all, it took a long time for it to, to show up because when there, was, there were just a few cases, they might have just been missed um, because we didn't know what that disease was. So okay. people just, just got it, uh, ended up with AIDS, died of AIDS, but the doctors just did, thought, okay, so we don't know what happened with this patient. But if you have these cases just separately, sporadically in, your, in the community, you will not notice that. It, became, it came to the attention because it was quite evident now that there was something wrong because we were talking about in 1981, June of 1981, those five cases were cases in um, uh, people that were very young, we're talking about guys the age of 29 to 32 who were dying because of immunodeficiency. 
So people were just thinking, okay, so that there's something new here yeah. that we're not aware of. And that's how it got the public attention. But it's not unusual for infections, especially if they're not, they don't cause immediate symptoms to go unnoticed in the, in the public until they become clustered in specific groups. And that's what happened actually with HIV. There was a specific group of people that got uh, the attention of the doctors. We're talking about people that shared a common, let's say, let's call it risk factor, risk behavior. So they were, uh, all these five people were identified as homosexuals and as um, um, being very young. So there were few things that yeah, they yeah, had in common, and that's why, and it's a lot of similarities, and that's why they caught the attention of the, of the, uh, of public health. But it's not unusual for infections to go unnoticed okay. if if you don't have a cluster of people that that are okay. See, so yeah, so we'd probably be able to you'd be able to see throughout the thirty years before that probably little individual cases in different areas across the world. But seeing as there wasn't an explosion. It yeah. just never came to people's attention. Exactly. And okay. even more so, even in that is a specific period, like the attention was focused, for example, on the on specific risk groups. So HIV was also called the 4-H disease in the early ages. The first age would be homosexuals. The second age would be heroin users. The third age would be Haitians because Haiti was one of the areas which was mostly um, affected by it, and the fourth age would be hemophiliacs because those were the groups that people were thinking of. Nobody okay. was thinking that this could could affect also heterosexual people, just because the, the they were focusing their attention only on those four groups. But it was actually already happening among the heterosexuals as well. The first cases were described in 1982, so okay, very. Um, very close to what was going on in the other groups, but people were just having a different idea on how the disease was transmitted, and so they were not paying much attention to what was going on in the general population. Okay, why did it um, did it spread so rapidly within the gay community? This is like if it's like obviously it doesn't. It's a virus. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter yeah. if you're gay or so. It's why was it that it spread so much and so rapidly? within the gay community, particularly in the US? So that's an interesting question. There are multiple explanations. So first of all, you have to consider of the historical uh, time. So the early 80s were the age of liberation for uh, the gay community, especially in uh, areas like San Francisco, Los Angeles, and other uh, big cities in the United States. So the people were trying to emerge from an era where they were not uh, free to uh, experienced their sexuality um, and they were, they were starting to experience their sexuality publicly in, in, in the sense that there were uh, like there's, 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 uh, gay clubs were starting to come up and there was a whole cultural movement um, of gay um, rights and um, uh, gay liberation uh, in that, in that uh, specific uh, time. So that definitely contributed to um, to the spread of the disease among uh, among um, that specific group. For example, if you look at Haitians and Haiti, why Haiti? Because at that time, Haiti was a, um, a like a, a tropical area that was used for uh, sexual tourism, um, both by 
homosexuals and heterosexuals. So that's why it spreads so rapidly in that specific area, because of course, HIV is transmitted mainly with sexual contact. And it's not, not a surprise that uh, an area that was used for sexual tourism ended up being one of the most affected. Um, and uh, so these are the main explanations, like behavioral um, reasons and cultural reason and the setup of society at that time. And also, of course, the um, if you if you think about how travel was in the 80s, that the, the world was starting its globalization just then. So people were starting traveling everywhere, not only for commercial purposes, but also for for, for tourism and other uh, and uh, and other types of business, so these all these factors together really contributed to the spread of the disease, um, especially among those that were initially identified as risk groups. Okay, so it wasn't a punishment by God, as some people would uh, absolutely some conservatives yeah. would have had you believe at the time. That that was yeah. one of the things we talked about when we were discussing. Obviously, this was a spinoff or a spinoff episode from. Uh, our Freddie Mercury episode and one of the things we talked about was the way in which um, the AIDS epidemic was viewed by the conservative government in the US at the time and considering as it was mainly in the LGBTQ plus community and the you know heroin users it was kind of seen as they're getting what they deserved so that's would you say that's possibly why there wasn't as much why it was allowed to go, uh, I won't say untreated, but without the level of attention it would have got if it was affecting heterosexuals? Yeah. So, you know, that's an interesting question. I think there's, we could talk about this for hours, but like, just to, 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 put the long, to give you a long story short, if you think about even in modern times, what happened with COVID, you always need a scapegoat and there's something new going on, okay? So they needed someone to blame. And usually when you have to, when you want to blame someone, you turn towards marginalized people, minorities, and um, people that you're sort of uh, afraid of, let's say the, the, the fear of the foreign, let's say for, for example, for COVID, like initially we were thinking, okay, so now we should, we should be afraid of people coming from China and the Chinese are to blame for this. And then new variants emerged with COVID and we were blaming the Indians for the what we call the yeah. Indian variant and the South Africans for the South African variant. It's just that, unfortunately, with infectious diseases, it's nobody's fault. It's just the way things go. You get an infection and you spread it to, to people that you're in contact with. So uh, the reason why there was so much attention on the gay community, so first of all, th- there is definitely a, um, a higher prevalence even now and a higher incidence in the sense that the new cases of HIV the majority of them are still, um, the, the LGBT community is still disproportionately affected compared to the heterosexuals. Although uh, the other way around is also that the uh, gay community is way more aware of the disease and they get tested more often and more regularly, whereas uh, among heterosexuals, this is not the case. So what, what happens is that you might not detect the infection in in heterosexual people just because they're not getting tested. And that's why you see more cases in, in the gay community. Okay, but of course, right. at, back then, they had they wanted to find someone to, to blame for it. It was, was all sorts of political reasons or social reasons behind it. 
And just because it was more evident in the gay community doesn't mean that every the, and in the um, uh, people who injected drugs didn't mean that it was only uh, among them. And that was proven then in the following, in the coming years, because it, it became quite evident that it wasn't only a problem of um, uh, drug users and uh, yeah, when it's yeah, when it started, and you can obviously even see with the way it's it's viewed when heterosexuals start turning up, being diagnosed with the disease. It's like, oh, okay, now we have to take this seriously. Now there's straight people yeah. getting it, so now this now it's an actual problem. Whereas in the years before, it was kind of ah, it's it's over there. It's not absolutely. So, yeah, and this was the case. So even with with treatment, like people in the LGBT community had to fight so much to to push for um, science to um, progress with treatments that were actually not only effective but also less toxic. Because we all know what happened then afterwards in terms of treatment of HIV and access to treatment in many areas of the world. Can you sorry? Can you repeat that bit again? You you said um. We all know that what happened afterwards. So yeah, no, like it, I I was only um, um, trying to say that um, the LGBT community had to fight hard for their rights as patients to be recognized and to access um, treatment that was not only effective but also not toxic for them. And for example, if you have a look at the uh, historical part of the first um, years of the HIV treatment, we only had one medication available, which was AZT, and it wasn't even that effective in the sense that unfortunately the virus develops resistance to that that treatment quite quickly. And it's also quite toxic. So people were demanding for more research to be focused not only on on effective treatment and and stuff like that. And I think, as you were saying, oh, when people were finally acknowledging that it wasn't only a gay problem or a, a drug user's problem, or it was the problem, everyone's problem, because everyone could get infected by HIV, that's when they started actually working on, on, more, on trying to find more effective medications. But only because there was a lot of pressure from the patient association, which they did the, most of the work. And... If we have effective treatment now, we mostly owe it to their uh, struggle to to fight for it. Okay, right. Yeah, and it's just, it's something very interesting because even now when I was, um, for the Freddie Mercury episode, I watched the film, I'd watched it already, but what struck me watching it the second time was his, obviously the start of the movie, he has... um, a fiance and as he moves away from her and you know realizes he's gay and moves into a gay man's lifestyle it's viewed as him going down a dark path which eventually leads him to getting aids it's put in this way of well if he had just stayed with his wife oh this wouldn't have happened he'd have been fine so i found even today it's quite interesting that that was seen as the end result. It, like they painted almost as, as an inevitability that was going to happen, given the path he went down. Yeah, no, it's exactly. So there's still a lot of uh, stigma around that, and even patients sometimes, when you give them the diagnosis of um, of HIV, they kind of say, "Oh well, maybe if I hadn't done that, maybe if I had been more careful and stuff." The, the, like the the reality is that there's nothing 
they you can do about it. The way a disease um, spreads is just that by chance you were unlucky enough to get it. But because there's so many people that have, let's say, unprotected sex and never get anything, it's just, or there, as well as there's so many people that smoke 20 cigarettes per day and they will never have cancer. And so many people that eat sweets can continuously and will never have diabetes. But that doesn't mean that, uh, I don't understand what, what, what always struck me was that we give out to people for having um, sex, which is a, just a physiological need and then but we don't say anything to people that um, maybe have an uh, unhealthy lifestyle maybe we just say to them oh yeah you should eat um, better and exercise and that's it but we don't say oh well you brought it to yourself because you were careless and yeah uh, don't blame them for for what they do instead with when there's when there's sex involved in the transmission of of an infectious disease there's always the some sort of blame around it because of all, all of our um, pre prejudice, all of the prejudice around um, um, sexual activity in general, especially then if it's from the LGBT community. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Stefano, I think that just about covers everything I wanted to talk to you about today. So I want to thank you massively once again for coming on. I really wanted, like I said to you before, and to get somebody who... You know, it's easy for me to read stuff off of Wikipedia, but it's much better to actually talk to someone with a really in-depth knowledge um, about the subject. So thank you very much. No worries. It was really a pleasure, Sean. Thanks a million for asking me to participate. Thank you very much. Good luck. <laughs>